0: Hi everyone, we're excited to finally present these guest episodes to you, but keep in mind this interview was recorded on July 11th, 2020, during all the craziness, and without further ado, here's the episode with Kristen Malia. will focus on how creatives learn from their mistakes and how those mistakes have shaped and contributed to their success. During the course of our talk, we would be interested in finding out more about our guest's design process and want them to share it with the world. We hope our guest's stories and messages will inspire creative minds to pursue their calling.
1: And for today's podcast, Brett and I, we are very excited to chat with Christian Malia, now, who is Christian Malia? Um, she's a multimedia artist, a graphic designer, and a college lecturer for Boston University, Mass Art, Suffolk University, and School of Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts University. Christian is also a founder of her own creative studio called Malia Design, where she consults creative advice and provides multiple design services to a wide range of clientele in the greater Boston area. The Paris Bar and the Stone Gallery at Boston University, and the Humanist Hub at Harvard and MIT to name a few her outstanding work collection. Her spectacular magic wand touches multiple layers of design, ranging from installation into printed materials. Christian's design taste is elegant, sleek, and contemporary, especially with typography and she's always carries with her the curiosity and creative knowledge that's always our joy. A Boston University alum, she graduated with an MFA in 2018, and prior to that, she earned her BFA in graphic design from Cochrane School of Art and Design at George Washington University. Christian has won several awards throughout her education in the art, as well as professional life, that includes her senior graphic design thesis project award while attending Cochrane School, a project on topographic revolution, which is very, very cool and pretty. She is also often invited as high-profile thesis panelists at Suffolk University, where she shares her experience and advice on students' work. Kristen is truly amazing and enthusiastic about design and art, and we are very, very pleased to have her on our show today so without any further ado please welcome chris and Molly out to okay. Pixel Perfect. thank you right. so much that was lovely yeah. you're welcome yeah and again thank you so much um to be on our show um and um we um let's let's do this together yeah, let's yeah. have some fun Sounds yeah good.
0: for sure uh yeah well how well let's start things off just we'll start off with like an easy question how are you today
2: (laughs) i'm doing well thank you i'm uh i'm tired and i've been keeping very busy uh this summer uh but generally i'm doing very well thank you how are you
0: yeah uh (laughs) same same thing just tired but also busy at the same time so um yeah it's weird that it's in the middle of july i know this is gonna be out (laughs) much later than that but uh yeah, the, it does, um, it's just, it's strange. It seems like time has gone by fast and slow at the same time.
2: I, yeah, I totally agree.
1: That's right. Um, so, Christian, you mentioned that you're um, teach, uh summer school, right? How's that going with, with your teaching? Um, can you share um, your experience with that?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um yeah teaching's been uh really it's been great i am currently teaching some uh graphic design studios both at mass art and at smfa right now and i also teach the graphic design elective course at boston university both summer sessions so there's some weird overlapping with schedule some of these classes go till um like 10 p.m. so it's a really interesting schedule oh wow Um, yeah but it's it's overall been really great and uh it's certainly keeping me busy right now and it is convenient to be able to do it out of my
3: apartment
0: of course yeah (laughs) yeah speaking of which we saw like when we saw the video of you you have like a ink blot outside as like a background for you um is that yeah. just a project you're working on
2: yeah i was awarded an artist residency uh in the spring so i spent three months in satis theater iceland um it was supposed to be two months but they invited me to stay longer when uh airports started shutting down Correct. and things started getting really crazy here especially in boston actually so Um, while I was there, I I started doing a lot of research and, uh, and making, uh, especially I was especially inspired by all of these really cool rocks. There are a lot of volcanic rocks and just really interesting forms in this, in this space I was living. It was incredible. So lately I've been doing these large scale, um, ink paintings on tracing paper that I stretched along the walls of my apartment and I've just been painting these enormous rocks and at this point they're now covering like every wall and some floor space.
1: <laughs> wow. wow that's that's awesome that's great uh, have you found um have you found anything that um very inspired and then you you feel you're gonna bring that back uh to Boston and share with uh, the students?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say everything I did there, just being there in general, um, the entire experience, I think, has really informed a lot of my practice. It's transformed my practice, which, of Mm. course, I think anything I'm working on personally, I think, enters the classroom space. Uh, My personal work is typically exploring rituals and iteration and process um so all of that is really deeply rooted in design process iterating editing um making and just going through that whole process over and over again so yeah i think the way i was working and, and collecting and sort of translating what i was experiencing there i think maybe the forms aren't exactly what we think of when we think of graphic design i worked with clay i was sculpting mm-hmm. now i'm doing the paintings but ultimately um yeah just that way of processing and, and and creating and filtering the sort of inspiration i think translates into the
3: classroom
1: um yeah that's, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, speaking of the design process, I think this is um, yeah. the main focus of the podcast, so we're going to go through that. Yeah, um, we're,
0: uh, yeah, we're going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the first question is something that we're going to ask every, or it's a question we ask every guest of ours, um, and it's been the main focus of our podcast here. So uh, tell us about your biggest mistake in your design career, and what did you learn from it?
2: this is a really interesting question it's a hard question yeah. um, I think so in thinking about it I mean there are all, there are the smaller um, there are the smaller mistakes you learn along the way like I don't know for example my one of my biggest first projects actually one of my first and incidentally biggest projects was designing a food truck and I was just starting out and I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, it's little things like, oh, I designed a bunch of things in Photoshop and then realized, oh my goodness, there are major scale shifts here, best to work in Illustrator. <laughs> um, so there's little things like that. But I think ultimately, to answer your question, after design school, um, I was working as a barista in Boston and I was starting to juggle a pretty decent amount of freelance work. Um, I wasn't really actively looking for a design gig because I didn't really have any interest in working at a larger firm and nothing beyond freelance felt right for me. Um, and the question I kept getting was, why don't you quit you know, the coffee shop gig and go out on your own? And I was completely terrified by this question. And my go-to response for quite a while was, but I'm not a business person. I don't know how to run a business. Um, And around that time, a trusted friend of mine gave me some really good advice. And she said, you know, as much as anyone else in the room. And at the time of course, I totally didn't believe her. uh, But the message stuck with me. Um, And eventually the freelance work built up enough that I didn't have the capacity to do both things. And so I ultimately quit the job as a barista and started doing these design projects um, full time. So it's so over that time, I developed a a lot of systems and these were sort of learning curve moments. Um, But these systems I was developing uh, were pretty essential And I suppose at the core of what it means to run a business, because again, this whole time I kept saying, I'm not a business person. I can't be a freelance designer because I don't, I'm not a business person. Um, But setting up basic systems, like how you track your hours and generating invoices and probably most importantly, keeping track of payments and all Mm -hmm. of that sort of back end administrative stuff. Um, along with like proper file management. That's another big one that I, yes. I think I've learned over time. Um, I, I focus on this a lot in the classroom as well, trying to get my students to uh, mm-hmm. develop great functional naming systems uh, while they're just starting out because we all inevitably go through this period of time where we name things final file, final file one, <laughs> this is really the final right. file, print written right. and final. And, you you ultimately lose track of what's what, and you're freaking out. And when you're a student, that happens. It's stressful, but no big deal. But when you're dealing with client files and you need to get things to a printer, that can be really catastrophic. Um, so, like for example, I've found that naming files numerically, you know, menu one, menu two, three, four, five works best for me personally. Because especially in dealing with clients over years and years and developing things like menus where there's a lot of like back and forth and emailing (laughs) versions, those little things are actually really big things. And so it's those sort of little systems that are essential. But anyway, but going back to the sort of original advice, this idea of you know as much as anyone in the room um over time in dealing with people especially when i was just starting out everyone in the room was always older they were men they always had all this experience they like they work in businesses they own businesses they run restaurants so you and they've been doing it for 40 years so you feel like there's no way i know as much as this person um And especially when you're starting out, that's like super terrifying and you don't necessarily have the portfolio and the real work experience to sort of like you can back up your contributions. Um, But I always trusted my gut and shared my perspective and backed up my reasons for making design decisions and all of this. And over time, I realized that the quote is 100% true. um, And that ultimately, you can sit back and listen to the feedback that everyone around you has and then you can sort of trust your instincts be professional and sort of speak up and i guarantee you're right more than you realize and you'll gain the respect and trust of everyone in the room um so i guess that's a really long-winded answer but essentially (laughs) The biggest mistake I think was thinking that I needed to have some sort of business degree in order to validate my presence in the scene and to do it on my
3: own.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because, like, I remember when I was in design school, I hadn't really thought of the fact that, like, I also have to know some business stuff or, you know, just even. The basic business stuff, and I had, it took it, it took some time for me to realize, like, oh, I I actually have to know the basics of business um, before I actually get started. Um, so, but, yeah. then, but,
2: but then, but I I mean, I think what's interesting. Number one, I don't think design programs do a lot of like I don't think they like we talk about that stuff like yeah. the very mm-hmm. real world sort of transition, like there's all of these basic things. I mean, yeah. really at the end of the day, these business things aren't really anything fancy or special. It's organization, it's yeah. managing files, it's just keeping track and yeah, good point. communicating, right. I would
0: say. Yeah, I think we had a couple of classes at Suffolk, uh, like talking about like doing an invoice or just what your rates should be and all that stuff but um, but yeah no I like organizing is also another thing for sure as well
2: but I think the fact that you guys had that experience at Suffolk is kind of rare like i my design program at least for for undergrad for a bfa you know you're in the program for years you know it was a really rigorous program Mm -hmm. and i don't remember leaving there with a really great sense of like okay these are like the basic structures and especially in the design field where Mm -hmm. you know so often you are doing work on your own like that's the beauty of design
0: yeah so actually that yeah that's great Uh, that actually takes us into our next question here uh so how did you get into the design industry
2: um so i i did i all right so i went down to washington dc for school i actually got a a b.a in electronic media which i was focusing on film uh in my undergrad and then i fell in love with ceramics and was balancing film work with sculpture. I graduated from GW and at that point I hadn't done any graphic design. Um, And so one day I was working this job that I didn't love and I was looking at the Corcoran College of Art and Design which was actually at the time not part of GW. Um, it I think like five years ago or so, maybe more. GW actually acquired the Corcoran, but before that, they were two very separate schools. It was uh, it was a museum school right down the street from GW. Anyway, um, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I. In my mind, I didn't really know what graphic design was, but I felt like it was just you know another creative medium, except one that was more employable. Um, and so I applied. I applied quite spontaneously, and I got in. And suddenly, I was studying graphic design, and I graduated. And then, of course, I I, I was ready to leave DC. I had been down there for ten years, and I left. And I came back to Boston, and then cue my last story where i'm working in a coffee shop and starting to do some right. freelance work like a, a local restaurant had you know needed some coupons and they couldn't really pay a lot so i i feel like i can do that and i started doing more and more things for them and then of course bigger things came up like hey we need a food truck do you think you can do that and of course I said yes to everything. I still say yes to so much. Not all client work is like the right fit or, you know, you don't necessarily have room on your plate to say yes to everything in that regard. But I, I say yes to so almost all opportunities generally that come my way because they always end up leading um, to other opportunities. And that's pretty much what happened for me. I started with coupons and not long after I was responsible for a food truck and I was like, yes, I can do that. And they were like, great. And then I was like, Oh my God, I have no idea how to design a (laughs) food
3: truck.
2: And you know, but you say yes. And then you research and you ask questions and you, you just start and then you figure it out. And then, you know, eventually a couple more trucks came my way and, and I was doing, and I was doing it.
1: Well, cool. this is uh this has been so great to hear you talking about this because your journey some um, somehow resonated with mine as well. Um starting off uh, very uh, f- you know, fresh from after school, basically. Um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you um, throughout your journey I, I I just have a feeling that you you've grown um, as you know, better as a designer um, I I'm just curious when you first started out. I know everything is very challenging. Um, have you ever found yourself, um, you know, stuck in a way? Uh, I mean, in terms of finance. Um, I know it's very it's very tough sometimes to mm-hmm. um, to deal with finance, basically. When especially when you when you just started out and you don't have a, a big portfolio to show. How how did you? Um, overcome that, and how did you build the, um, the trust with your clients?
2: Um, that's a great question. Um, so, in so in between, all right. So after my undergraduate thesis. Um, in DC and then the period where I moved back here, I actually took quite a bit of time off. And like I said, I was working in this coffee shop, I was sort of burnt out. And so I took the time to refuel, Um, but that I I was doing a lot of just personal writing and just random personal art projects, not design specifically, although I was drawing a lot of type at the time, Uh, just, just playing around mostly. But in that downtime, I was trying to do something creative every day. I started a Tumblr and I just used it as a, as a sort of discipline, as a daily discipline for posting something creative. So I wouldn't get lazy and, you know, I would have something to show for that period of time that I wasn't really doing anything. Um, and then of course, once I started, working with, you know, one of my first clients was the Paris Creperie in Coolidge Corner, um, and they, I guess, like, uh, how do I answer that? I mean, I just started working, and to be honest, I think a lot mm-hmm. of it's being, like, a, a communicating, um, right. connecting with your client, like, building trust, I think, is, and graphic design in general, is easily 50% communication, outside of the actual like laying out of, of material, laying out of information. Mm-hmm. It's communicating with the client, it's telling them why you think one idea is stronger than the other. Um, and really pushing, you know, I, I also went kind of, I guess, above and beyond in terms of at least the scope of what a, a designer's role can be. I was like, oh, you need food photography. Because you know, stuff like that is big. It's big budget. There's a lot of moving parts. But I was like, I can do that. I can mm. take photos for you guys to use in, in right. the pieces I'm designing. So I'd offer to do it and I'd orchestrate the shoot. And you know, this was nothing fancy. It was, hey, I, I want to shoot in daylight. Let's go to the like let's go outside, let's make a bunch of crepes, let's shoot this. Um, and working together with staff to sort of orchestrate moments like that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with copywriting, you know, saying, you know what, you sent me this thing, but I think saying something like this might sound even better. And just sort of offering up stuff like that. There were a few changes I made. Let me know if you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can go back. But in doing all of those things, I think um, we built a relationship that was based on um like they trusted me to pick up on the mistakes or to um to have a high standard uh for the collateral we were making and for the assets we were generating and the fact the fact is at the end of the day especially when you're starting out if you can save a company money and be their sort of one-stop shop for all of their needs from a visual perspective that makes you really valuable Mm -hmm. and and so i think stuff like that certainly helps to build trust and i i will say i've i've never advertised a day in my life my advertising has always been my existing clients and you know just being like hey you know i am looking for other work so if anybody you know comes to you and says hey i need something you know please send them my name and sure enough that seemed to be what happened or people would say hey you know i saw this thing of yours or this poster um who did it like i need somebody to do some stuff for me and that's also a huge part in terms of. building up clients and building up your portfolio
1: mm-hmm. all right uh, so christian can you tell us about your design process for a new project
3: uh
2: yeah so uh first of course first step is is meeting with the client or of course having a phone call but meeting with the client to learn about the project and what they need um getting a, a, a sort of overview of all the specifics, discussing budget, which I, I think is always the worst part, no matter how long I've been doing this. Um, after that initial meeting, I'll typically work up a brief from my meeting notes, uh, breaking down everything that we discussed in the meeting, I'll work up an estimate and send everything over to the
3: client. Um,
2: once everything's confirmed and you know they've uh, approved everything, we obviously dig in. Um, a lot of my work is uh, is branding work. So um, often, and it's often for companies that are just starting out. Um, so this sort of, we're essentially discussing developing branding from the ground up. Um, So at this point, it's really important to make sure that I'm understanding what the client is wanting and what they're envisioning. Um, You really need to, I think it's critical to get inside the client's head, essentially. So I'll typically work up a mood board and develop keywords um, to sort of make sure that we're on the same page. Um, Like I said, getting into their head is, is pretty critical. And often, even if um, even if the client thinks like, you repeat everything they said, you're like, this is what we're doing. Um, they think that you're both on the same page. And then when you show them something, it's it, it becomes clear that you guys aren't on the same page. Um, often I think clients aren't able to envision what what is being discussed in these meetings. So again, it's really important to put images in front of them to make sure that you have a, you're both on the same uh, sort of wavelength with regard to aesthetics and directions for the project. Um, mm-hmm. So after all of that, um, I will typically encourage the client to send me images of things that speak to their brand or the project in general. So I will push them to look at uh, images of, th- of color, type, lifestyle images, fashion, Uh, textiles, physical objects, and spaces. Um, I typically advise them not to send me other logos. Um, So by seeing all of these other materials and sort of uh, examples, I think it's really helpful for getting into their head and also Mm -hmm. avoiding the pitfalls of you know oh but i wanted to look like this other person's logo often that doesn't end up being the direction you go and you don't want to design a logo that looks like anything like anybody else's work mm. but ultimately when you have them sending these other assets and inspiration um it helps you better get inside their mind and it allows you to sort of be more um free in terms of the range of possible design directions you go so that's sort of i mean that's the start that's the start i guess of my process um and it's kind of the most essential and then ultimately there's usually several rounds of back and forth um you know there one of the things that i learned in design school was you know you don't want to send the client every iteration every direction you want to curate because ultimately the process of designing will then go on for eternity because they will have too many options and they'll be plucking elements from all over the place for days and you will end up doing endless revisions and the project will never land will never land um but on the flip side as a, more of a boutique design studio i think it's really important to the clients i work with businesses who are like that are just launching um new projects that are small where budgets are tight and this is like it's brand new you know everything's new and everything's stressful i think it's a real comfort to the clients i work with that you know there is a little wiggle room in the number of rounds of revisions i factor in a bit more flexibility you know i'll give them a lot of options not a million options i still curate a collection but i really like to work intimately with them and make sure um especially in the edits That, you know, no, I'm not gonna charge you, you know, an arm and a leg to make a few more tweaks. Because ultimately, I want the client to be really happy. I want them to love the work and giving them that little bit of extra attention. Unlike in, you know, I have colleagues who work with more corporate commercial clients where it's like, no, you get two rounds of revisions and then, you know, we start billing it at this rate and this is how things go. And it can become, you know, at that scale, it, it works. It makes sense. But when you're dealing with somebody who's launching like this s- small product and they're a local business, like it just operates differently, at least for me. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. They, they more flexible, um, with your knowledge, um, on design for sure. Um, so, I totally agree. Yeah.
0: So, um, how do like, let's say, uh, a client has, a uh, Like I want something changed that you don't necessarily agree with. How do you deal with that or criticism Mm -hmm. in general?
3: Uh,
2: Well, that's a good question. So there have been times where like, say I'm working on this logo and they want me to add a gradient and I'm like, no, for the love of God, no, I don't want (laughs) to add a gradient. (laughs) Um, And I tell them that I think it's a bad idea, um, but... I will test it out anyway. Um, and so what I'll usually do is go back. I'll make their edit. Um, I will also maybe make an edit or two that I think might be better, a better solution than their proposal. And then I present all of the options. And I show them what they wanted to see. And then I push what I think is the better solution. Yeah. And it can go, I mean, it really goes one of two ways. Either they totally get it, and they're like, you're right, this is great, and I actually just really like this, let's go with that. Or I do something that I am adamantly against, and I'm really stubborn about, I'm like, I'm not doing a gradient, I do it, and I'm like, oh my god, this actually looks really good, Uh and it's working, and they were right.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) I, Honestly, with you, (laughs) have run into that issue so many times as well um but it's great awesome. it's a good experience to to know about you know yeah. and then share with other designers to see how they see it, and then um we go back and basically reevaluate our work and uh, and we we love them and we go from there yeah yeah,
2: yeah it's I, I mean it's important the thing is at the end of the day you are designing for the client, you want them to be happy with it. So, if ultimately they're madly in love with a logo that has, you know, some things going on that you don't necessarily agree with or like, at the end of the day, there's no better feeling than when the client is in love with the thing you made for them. So, you can sort of, your feelings can take a back seat, and, you know, that's fine. And I, I don't say that lightly. I, I, you know, it's personal and, If somebody, you know, it's personal and you want them to love what you're doing and you want everything to be what you think is the best thing. But ultimately, there usually is some sort of compromise and and hopefully the compromise lands in a place where you you can still be really happy with the work and not feel like you lost too much.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. What keeps you motivated after you screw up something?
3: Huh. Good
2: question. Um, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess just continuing to rework something, uh, the motive, the, the sort of inspiration or motivation could be just, Wanting to bring some like something to to a conclusion so you can move on from it, or um, or I guess just plugging along on something until you know you have that aha moment. I mean, the design process is hard and emotional sometimes. I I feel like typically if there's something that really it's not going well or you know you're having trouble getting to that point where suddenly everything clicks there's this progression you're working it's not working and then you kind of freak out at least you know I have my sort of moment of freak out where it's like oh my god this is not working and it's it's a disaster and then you calm down from the freak out and usually that's when you have like the breakthrough <laughs> or at least I do um and then I say oh my god okay great and then I'm in love with it again and I'm excited and it's really just that pushing through until you get to uh the breakthrough moment and then it's usually smooth sailing again
0: nice (laughs) yeah so that yeah I mean I think that's like a pretty good encapsulation of the design process in general so
2: I mean it's right I yeah. mean, I feel so I feel like my answers are maybe too honest yeah, I feel like it's fine. these are all these No fine so when you right. I feel like when you're in school there's it's like oh like nobody like I don't know you don't often get at least as a student i didn't like this very real like these are the woes and this is how it goes after school it's like it's like am i the only one who has this process and i tell my students i'm like now's the time okay you're freaking out you're 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 stuck you feel like oh my god should i even be a designer right (laughs) and then you take a break you go for a walk you watch a movie you come back after your freak out and you're like oh my god yes i've got it
0: yeah well, that's why we're, we're doing this podcast is we want to show that the, these stuff happens to even the most successful designers out there. So, um, But that does take us to our next question is, what advice would you give to anyone who's interested in graphic design or just starting out?
2: Um, I would um, say to take advantage, especially if it's somebody, I guess, starting out in school, um, take advantage of of the time when you're learning, or even if you're self-taught. Take advantage of that time before you get out into the real world and like push, push, push your thinking. Uh, Make your own constraints. Um, In the classroom, I push my students. Every syllabus I design focuses on authorship. I want students to work on topics that excite them and to sort of have that sense of authorship because i know that when i was a student when i was given a topic a subject matter a framework and all the rules i was so much less passionate about the project i couldn't get into things that just weren't what i was into and so the things when I got to do what excited me, I was passionate about it, I was committed to it. It made me uh, want to figure out how to achieve the solutions I envisioned in my mind, which led to understanding new tools and just growing. Um, I would put in the time and just had, again, this different sense of ownership over the work. Um, And doing that, I think, also includes pretending that you have unlimited resources and unlimited budgets. Because when you're in school, you can think really big like that. Um, When there are no sort of constraints, you're forced to sort of create your own, which is something that I think is incredibly important once you're in the real world, and especially um, designing for other clients. but ultimately when you don't have budgetary constraints, um, you can, or material constraints in any way, you can really, the like there are endless possibilities. And once you are done and you're dealing with clients, you have to rein in your vision and accommodate the, the constraints that the client comes with. So you have a limited budget, you have uh, specific frameworks within which you have to work. And so the thinking just gets a little smaller and more controlled. So again, like I I think when you're, when you have the freedom to be as creative and limitless as you want, you should do it. Because once you sort of settle into a design routine or a specific way of thinking about design and making and working, it's considerably harder to force yourself to think bigger. But you can always rein in big ideas. You, it's harder to go the other way, I think.
1: Mm. True, true, true. I, um, I do like when you say um, it's unlimited, there's unlimited possibilities um, in design, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And um, speaking of advice and going out of that, um, how do you now manage factors in your life that, say, you, um, um, I know that you mentioned, uh, time management, project management. What, what about, what about yourself? Um, how do you sleep? How do you eat at night? Um, you know, your relationships with, uh, students, clients and things like that. I,
2: well, I, I do work a lot. <laughs> um, I am, that's that's a really good question. Right now, um, I, I think I've finally achieved a really nice sort of balance with all of the things I'm doing. Um, and it's taken me over 10 years to get here. So right now I am teaching a, a pretty rigorous class, uh, class load uh, each semester. So that sort of, is, i guess the star of the show right now and second to that is my client work that i juggle with my personal work and i typically you know i i guess i compartmentalize a little bit um but i don't like i'm not a okay it's friday now i'm off the clock that's right. not how I roll. So, and again, this going back to the earlier conversation about like becoming valuable to your, you know, invaluable to your clients is, you know, and maybe this is a bad thing. Um, but being accessible on like the weekends or for emergencies and all of that, like I work typically seven days a week. And, um, I try to factor in time for myself after seven hours of teaching, I usually need to just, unplug in order to recharge, trying to dive into work for a client right after teaching like that is really useless because if you sort of wait and take care of yourself and give yourself a go for a walk, take the night off to watch a movie, uh, the next day you, at least for me, I tend to be far more efficient and uh, productive in my work. And I guess, I mean, for me, the busier I am, the more efficient I am with my working, you know, often it's like, okay, well, I just wish I had some time, like just time to be able to work. But when I have a ton of time, I don't use the time well, if I'm trying to not work, which again, like if I'm not working, I'm usually like, okay, well, I wanna work on one of my personal art projects. But that's still working. Uh, but if I were to completely take time and say, I've got all this time to work on this deadline for a client thing, chances are it's, I don't know, I, I'm going to be more efficient on the deadline and with a small window of time to work. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm answering your question.
1: No, no, that's that's, oh, that's very good. interesting. Uh, from what you said, I... Um, Sometimes I feel the same way as well when I have too much time on my table. What am I supposed to do now? I mean I yeah. I have other stuff, other things uh, to do. But um it just it's just the time that I I I, I think it's not what like oh I'm not working anything. It just it feels weird somehow, sometimes for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think um I don't know for me the whole like if you want something done ask like the busiest person you know um productivity sort of yields productivity for me and again like and I tell my students this too sometimes it's like oh I don't I'm really struggling to get going on this or I'm zooming into details instead of thinking about the big picture and I will tell them to set a timer and sort of give themselves a, a time constraint where it's like, okay, I have to work on, I have to start this one project or work on this thing and I keep putting it off and I'm trying to, but I've got a million things going on. Set a timer, work on it for 30 minutes. So often for me, starting a project, it it's so hard to start. And the second you finally just create the new document, even just the act of creating the new document and saving it is like, oh, why was I dreading this? and so it's like all these little like sort of mechanisms for i guess just getting feeling a sense of control and you know um i don't know i I think it's it's all of those little things that ultimately um make it all work i guess yeah
0: (laughs) that makes sense um so what does being creative mean to you
2: what does being creative mean to me um i i mean it's it's everything i mean right now i'm i mean it's everything it's kind of like i I mean it's how i spend my time my client work teaching um my personal work i even when i'm even when I'm not working, if I'm going for a walk, I mean, walking is huge. It's like the ultimate creative process for me. I zone out and suddenly, you know, I listen to terrible music that I love and I'm (laughs) zoning out and suddenly I'm having all of these ideas for projects I want to do.
1: Yeah, Um, same.
2: (laughs) But then on the flip side, like I take a ton of photos, like just, you know, with my phone, when I'm out, type everywhere, like, Textures, patterns. I mean, I feel like everywhere you look, everything is design. Everything is graphic. It's so even when I'm out, you know, just taking photos or looking around me, I feel like I'm, I'm still working and processing. And, um, so really, I think there's very little that isn't creative for me. You're either, making something with that inspiration or you're sourcing inspiration. I mean, when you're watching a movie, a yeah. movie is a designed experience. It's all of these elements arranged in a certain way to create some sort of output. And I, I think, um, yeah, so, I mean, being creative for me is, you know, graphic design is, uh, often like this very strict, strict container for me it's not yeah. uh, and so yeah creativity is pretty much
0: everything Everywhere. yeah it's <laughs> a good answer well yeah well said
2: and well uh, thank you uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> um
1: so uh, i i think we can um talk a little bit on what you're currently working on at the moment um and then we um um it's almost we get it there yeah. so um, sure. it's, it's going to be so yeah, what what are you currently working on, Christian?
2: I am kind of. I, I mean, I'm I'm working on a lot of things right now. Um, in terms of my client work, my my graphic design work, um, I am primarily working with um, the Paris Creperie sister location, which is Paris uh, Seaport uh, Foreign Creperie, which just. Launched actually, I think yesterday was the year, the year anniversary since its launch. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I do all of the design work for both lo- locations, but right now Seaport being the new one is where, um, where a lot of my attention is going um, over the past, like year and a half, two years leading up to them launching and then them launching, I, I was um, you know designing, developing the branding and all of the collateral for the location. I um, I got to work with them with other aesthetic choices, whether it's dishware and countertops, stuff like that. Um, we created some neon signage, so there were a lot of really fun elements to make for that location. Um, but on the day to day, like each week, I'm usually dealing with you know, new signage. Like right now we've had to come up with some solutions for the COVID situation and how to deal with menus and stuff like that. So what we ended up doing was just creating table tents that feature QR codes. So there are no printed menus, for example, and where now all of the menus for, you know, the lunch and dinner or like Tiki Tuesday, all of their different events, I'll just live online. And so I'm creating signage often to sort of, you know, provide, provide the platform for people, for guests sitting down to be able to scan and read their menus. So, and, and there's always, you know, menus are constantly changing and it's sort of busy work like that. I've already gone through the process of developing the brand. So it's really just continuing to make uh, updated collateral for their sort of day-to-day needs. Um, and then, uh, in addition to that, I mean, I am doing some smaller sort of projects here and there, um, for clients, uh, but that's Paris is the big one. And then I'm doing these large rock paintings, of course, which are based on vector illustrations that I had started of these sort of rock studies. Um, I've also been sculpting some additional rocks that, I had started making when I was in Iceland. And um, yeah, I'm starting to put together all of these elements in a meaningful way to hopefully have um, a show in the months ahead. So that's what I'm doing. Wow, (laughs) wow,
1: Wow. incredible.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of stuff too. And
1: plus teaching.
0: And plus teaching too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Um,
0: Yeah. This is, this is amazing yeah so we, uh, we usually end with a little bit of a silly question here um, okay what is your spirit animal and why
2: my spirit animal um, uh, I I don't even know how to answer that question
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs>
1: We have an alternative question. We do have, have other
0: ones, that. yeah. What would, Okay
2: let's hear let's hear the other one.
0: Sure. What would be your superpower and why?
2: Oh. Um Wow, I feel like this answer is about to be really lame.
0: It's alright. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt my, it, but...
2: I feel like my superpower. I would love my superpower to be that I did not require sleep and I could just kind of self-charge because then I would have way more time to be able to do all the things that I want to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, don't get cool. me
2: wrong. I love napping. Naps are how I survive a lot of my schedule these days. But, uh, but yeah, it would be really exciting to just have, have time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now I'm wondering if there's an animal that just doesn't sleep. <laughs>
2: I know. Uh... Maybe like an
0: owl, I guess. Although I guess they sleep in the morning. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh... <laughs> I, uh...
2: <laughs> I'll uh... have to think about that and come up with a with a better, yeah. a better answer for you. No, that's all right.
0: I mean, you, you, that was a good superpower. I hadn't really thought of just... <laughs> not needing sleep. That'd be a good one. Um, I think a lot of people would want that superpower. Uh, where can people find you online?
2: Um, I have a website called rare valuables.net, uh, which started out as a project for housing, uh, all of my found collections, but has ultimately become the portal for all of my, um, sort of multimedia work. And then of course, maliadesign.com is where you can find some of my graphic design client based work. Great. Great. Perfect. Awesome. So, um, this has been super fun on learning about you and, um,
1: your thought process and your advice. Um, we really truly grateful for that. Um, and again, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I just, uh, you know, on behalf of Perfect and Bread, I just want to say, again, thank you. And um, I know that you're you're very busy and uh, you have a lot of projects going on. Um, yeah. And we wish you well and we wish um, all the best um, on your projects. And uh, I'm just going to say the the ending here so then we can end uh, the podcast. Probably. Um, so this is for the podcast today. Um, we'd like to thank Griffin a lot for taking the time to chat with us. We hope that you listeners enjoy our conversation today. You can follow us on Instagram at Pixel Perfect Talk and visit our website at pixelperfect.blog for more information. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe and healthy, everyone. My name is Andy Don and my co-host is
0: Brad Tube off and we're signing off.